Hello, and welcome to the River of Life podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for service times and directions. That's riveroflifefl.com. Now, let's join special guest Phil Davis as he teaches from the Word of God. Not much needs to be said after that, amen? <laughs> that is, uh, that's good stuff. I don't know how many of you uh, happen to notice, but I've got to share a quick story with you. Before we got started this morning, my good brother, Scooter, told me that uh, he was going to set this in place and he was going to turn it around where I was facing the baptistry. I don't know how many of you saw when Tim came up and set it in place. It was facing the baptistry and I thought, <laughs> they've got cahoots going on in this thing, you know. Wow. I want to talk for just a little bit this morning about a very common topic. One that probably impacts every person in the congregation in some level, even today. Sometimes it's deeper, sometimes there's periods or seasons of peace, but the message today has a very simple title. It is help. How many of you can use some help from time to time? When I was early in my managing career, to kind of give you a background of how this whole word has been a part of uh, something that I've dug into on numerous occasions, I was working for a company that... Uh, had a very extensive process for bringing people on board, five steps in the interviewing process. And I'll be brief in going through this, but I kind of want to get you to understand the depth that was uh, taking place. First one was an interview with a supervisor off the shop floor. If they got through that one, then they met a second interview on a different date with a human resource manager. If they got through that one, they went to a panel interview. And in it was the plant manager, a staff manager, and appear out of whatever department group uh, that they were going to be working in. If they got through that one, it went to an orientation. And in the orientation, the staff of the company and their spouses invited all of the candidates that were potential to be hired and their spouses or significant other people. Sometimes it was a parent, if it was a younger person. They would come in and we would present the company to them, still part of the interviewing process. And then ultimately the fifth and final step was a background check, drug screen, physical, all of those types of things. Very extensive. The shortest duration was about two weeks. Sometimes it would take five, six weeks to complete the process of interviewing with this company. So I said all that to kind of give you the idea that there was a lot of upfront investment before they ever even came on board, before they ever even became a part of the company and the organization. There was a lot of investment that was put into them. Once they came to work, then obviously they went through a training period to be trained and taught how to do the skills and the jobs that they were going to be doing. So ultimately, more commitment, more investment. But like any company, there was a step process for corrective action, a warning, a verbal, a written, a final, and see you later. And I began to think, wow, what an investment we have into these people that we just go through a simple process and say, okay, thank you, I'll see you later, because they fell in one particular capacity. So I developed early in my career a program called HELP. Now the good news is that's not what we're going to talk about 
today. Not that type of help. I, I put it as an acronym. HELP was a highly effective learning process to reteach both the employee and the company. From the employee standpoint, to make sure they understood their value, who they were to the company, what they represented, what we had invested into them, and from the leadership, the standpoint of protecting that investment. Now that's about as good a segue as I can give you to help understand the topic we're going to talk about. Sometimes we need to help others. Sometimes we need help. We're going to go to the Old Testament today. We're going to take our opening text out of 2 Chronicles chapter 14. And I'm thumping. 2 Chronicles chapter 14 and starting in verse 11. You'll say amen when you get there. Or if you see it on the screen. Alrighty. Chapter 14, verse 11 says this, And Asa cried unto the Lord his God, and said, Lord, it is nothing with thee to help, whether with many or with them that have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on thee, and in thy name we go against this multitude. O Lord, thou art our God. Let not man prevail against thee. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are our source of help. We thank you, God, that no matter what it is we face, no matter how small or how large, that you're the God that can overcome it. We ask today, Lord, that we help ourselves by really getting into your word, looking at what Asa did, Lord, to prepare for help. Open our ears, our eyes, our hearts. Speak to us what you would have us hear. In Christ's name. Amen. I want to go through four points this morning, kind of looking at Asa and his position of calling out for help. Point number one, know where your help comes from. It's pretty clear. Asa is about to go to battle. You can tell as he says this multitude is coming against us, war is imminent, it's about to take place. And before the battle begins, he's calling upon the name of the Lord. He's calling out and he recognizes first and foremost that it doesn't matter how much power it is or how little power. In other words, it doesn't matter what size the army is, I still need you, Lord. He also recognizes what God is capable of because he said, it is nothing with thee. No matter what it is I'm asking you, God, it is nothing for you to reach down and to take care of whatever it is. We need to know where our help comes from. We get into situations as people, and I want to preface this because I want to share with you a quick story from the first church that I was senior pastor in. How many of you have ministered know that you make some mistakes early in your pastoring, and they don't stop. They just keep happening. I preached a sermon on a Sunday morning, and in that Sunday morning service, I felt led to share a testimony. My dad had already passed. My mom was not in good health. She suffered from diabetes, Parkinson's. She had had numerous strokes. She had a hip replacement and had an artificial hip. One leg was longer than the other and continuous pains and conflicts that she faced. And she had got to a point to where the infection in her hip had put her into a nursing facility and she was told she would never walk again. I was pastoring a church in Missouri and my mother was back in Arkansas where I'd grown up. 
And she called me and she said, Phil, I want you and your church to begin to pray for me. I put inside our prayer request. This happened on like a Thursday night. No one had even seen it yet. We had a bucket, a a container that we put prayer requests in and I placed it in there. And before I could even get the church to talk about it, I got a phone call later and my mother said that she had felt the presence and the power of God move on her. She had felt God tell her, contact your doctor, uh, your doctor, your physical therapist, tell them you want to walk. She called them, they came in, and she said, I want to get up and I want to walk. My mother got out of that bed with assistance. She put her first foot on the ground and they let go and from there forward she began to walk. And by Sunday when I was preaching my sermon, I was sharing a testimony that my mother had been released from this facility and that she was walking upright fully in control and that God had done a miraculous work. I said all that to bring it to the point to where I want to set a foundation of what else we're going to talk about because that Sunday night we came into service and as typical I come in first and I go down and I begin to pray and I get in the presence of God and I ask for the anointing and all of those things that, that you typically do before you share a word of God. And usually about halfway through my prayer, our pianist comes in and she begins to play. And it just becomes this peaceful serenity that it's only her playing on that piano and me praying before God. And it's just a wonderful time of fellowship with me and the Lord. On this particular night, she never came in. It come time for church to start and I went to another lady within the church and I asked if she would mind playing the piano for us. She accepted. We had the service. After service was over, I went to our pianist home, a single lady. I went over to visit, to pray with her if she was sick, to see what was wrong. And I got there, and she was fine, nothing wrong. And I said, we missed you tonight. And I stopped by. I thought, well, I'd pray with you and see if you had uh, taken some sickness or something. And she said, no, you offended me this morning. And I went, wow, <laughs> what in the world did I say or do that offended you? So this woman was the uh, primary manager, the overseer of the local uh, nursing home. What she got out of a testimony, what she received from me sharing what God had done and that my mother was released from that facility is that I was saying that, that God did not need nursing homes. Hey, <laughs> I'm sharing with you a real story. So I'm going to give you some illustrations and some examples about help and calling upon the name of the Lord, but I want to qualify up front that I am not saying so that you don't have to miss church tonight or Wednesday night or any other time because Brother Phil said, we need doctors, we need counselors, we need nursing homes, we need hospitals, we need all of those facilities. Would you say amen? But what I do want to share with you is that we have got to get to the place to where we know where our ultimate help comes from. It comes from God. When we get to the place to where we never call upon God, but we go to the doctor, waiting on the doctor to tell us a diagnosis, and we haven't even surrendered and turned it over to God yet, we overlook a very primary responsibility that we should have as Christians. Know where your help comes from. I'm going to use several examples in this, and I'm going to try to draw, uh, draw attention to them in each category that we go through, through these four points this morning. So the first one, know where your help comes from. It is good to have friends and call upon friends for help. It is good that when you have a medical situation and condition that you go and you visit that doctor. 
If you have a marriage or a relationship that is broken and it needs help, it is okay to go and see a counselor. If you have physical infirmities and ailments on you, uh, not only is it okay to go see a doctor, but it's okay to take the medications. I'm going through this several times to make sure I don't send the wrong message, but we're going to come back to this primary, and that is know where your help comes from. If you need to call upon the name of the Lord and you've got a serious illness and you say, God, lead me to the right doctor, then you're doing it the right way. Point number two. We need spiritual reform. Second Chronicles chapter 14 still. We're going to go to the first eight verses. Chapter 14 verses 1 through 8. This is kind of giving you a little bit of background. So Abijah slept with his fathers, meaning he had passed, and they buried him in the city of David, and Asa his son reigned in his stead. In his days the land was quiet ten years. And Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. For he took away the altars of the strange gods and the high places and broke down the images and cut down the groves, commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to do the laws and the commandments. He took away out of all of the cities of Judah the high places and the images, and the kingdom was quiet before him. And he built fenced cities in Judah, for the land had rest and had no war in those years, because the Lord had given him rest. Therefore he said unto Judah, Let us build these cities and make about them walls and towers, gates and bars, while the land is yet before us, because we have sought the Lord our God, we have sought him, and he hath given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. And Asa had an army of men that bear targets and spears. Out of Judah, 300,000, and out of Benjamin that bear shields and drew bows, 204 score or 80,000. All these were mighty men of valor. So after we know where our help comes from, it's time for reform to take place. Asa took over. Just to give you a little bit of background, Asa was the great-great-grandson of David. There was David, then there was Solomon, then there was Rehoboam, then there was Abijah, and then ultimately Asa. And of those last three, Rehoboam was the first king of Judah, Asa was the sec- or, uh, Abijah was the second king of Judah, and Asa now currently is the king of Judah. His father only reigned for three years. And in those three years, there was much turmoil. If he were, as Asa, were tearing down altars and images and those type things, then what does that tell you about when his father Abijah was ruling and reigning? Is that God was not first. They were not serving and worshiping God. They had turned to these idols and those types of things. From a personal standpoint, I don't know if it has anything to do with all the problems and complications, but Abijah had uh, 14 wives, 22 sons, 16 daughters, uh, 60 concubines, a total of about 90 children through everyone now. That, to me, sounds like that was part of the problem or the issue, but maybe it wasn't. But it kind of gives you a perspective of what it was Asa walked into when he became king. So Asa said, we need reform. We need a spiritual outpouring from God. If I'm going to be at the place to where later I'm about to go to war and I'm about to go to battle and I'm going to call upon the one who I know can help, meaning I call upon God, then I've got to put myself in a position to where when I call on the name of the Lord... He hears me. So Abijah, or I'm sorry, Asa began to just tear down all of the images and the altars and the uh, the groves and all of the things that stood between Judah and God. Began to destroy them. 
Not only did he begin to destroy those things, then he put God first and said, we will worship one God. We will worship the Almighty God. We will worship Him and Him alone. So he began to create, if you will, this entire kingdom now that is turning from all of the things that stood between God and putting intimacy between them and God. The latter part of those passages gives us a really good insight, though, to something that we fail in more times than not. They are currently at peace. Matter of fact, the first stint lasted for about 10 years of nothing but peace. In those 10 years of peace, what did it say that Asa was doing? Building walls, putting bars in place, fortifying the cities and the boundaries. He was training the troops, 300,000 out of uh, Judah, another 280,000 out of uh, Benjamin, a total of 580,000 men of valor, meaning men who also served God. If you put all of that into perspective, what Asa said is, while we are at a time of peace, it is a time of preparation. Oftentimes, we as God's people, we wait until we get into the time to where we are so desperate in need of help that we did nothing in preparation before we got there. If you go back to that marriage that's broken, today, statistically, we know that it's more likely that a marriage fail than it succeeds. So knowing that statistic, in times of peace, what are you doing to fortify that marriage? Are you using that opportunity to get to know your spouse more than you ever did? Are you getting to know what makes them the happiest? Are you getting to understand what's the little things that begins to tick and make them upset that leads to the big fights and quarrels and those things? In times of peace, it is a time of preparation. Asa recognized this. If you look, and they were not in war. There had not been a war since his father was in position, yet in that time of peace, he was building up fortification. He was building the walls and those types of things. Meaning if you are in a financial situation, and today you are strapped, and you say, but you don't understand, I'm unemployed, I have no control over that, there's no jobs, it doesn't matter. When you had a job, what did you do with your money? Won't let that one sink. It is a time of preparation. When you are not in a financial crisis, it is a time of preparation that says God gets his money first, you give to him first, you give to others, and then ultimately and finally you got money left, you can go buy that toy. But not until you've done due diligence to prepare yourself. Some uh, uh, accountants will tell you you need three months of money in reserve setting in case of any type of an emergency. Look at your monthly total of bills and look at your savings account and see if you're prepared. If not, and you're in a time of peace and you've got a job, you better start preparing. It will come. Your financial trials and troubles and tribulations will come. Asa recognized that there has to be reform. You've got to put in place all of the things that are necessary to be able to align yourself with God. Number three, go to 2 Chronicles chapter 15. We're going to look at verse 16. 2 Chronicles 15 and 16. And also concerning Maacah, the mother of Asa, the king, he removed her from being queen because she had made an idol in a grove and Asa cut down her idol and stamped it and burned it at the brook Kidron. Point number three, get your house in order. 
get your house in order. We know Jeremiah says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We know in the New Testament, Timothy wrote, I believe it's in uh, 435 or somewhere in there. I'm blank on where it's at right now, but Timothy was writing, and he was writing to the bishops. I'll qualify that, but in so many words, what Timothy's writing said, that if you can't get your own house in order, how are you going to get God's house in order? We have a responsibility to get our house in order. So what does that mean? Get your house in order. Let's go back to that relationship to the husband and wife who continuously have problems and marital issues and those types of things. How do you get your house in order? Uh, ordered house means that the husband is the head of the house. That's how you get your house in order. Husbands, what does that mean for you? It means it's time to lace up your boots. You're going to have to take a stance on some things and not let your wife run over you. <laughs> But there's some reality that says if God's word puts it in a certain way, we have to take heed to that, understand that, and that's what we've got to do to get our house in order. Now that I've said that, ladies, here's your opportunity. Across this congregation today, there are probably women without a husband that's here. They have a husband, but they're not sitting beside them. Or they weren't here last Sunday or the one before. The woman is having to take the responsibilities of the man to lead the family into God's house. It's a shame. You've got to get your house in order. It's not the woman's responsibility to make sure that your family is brought up with God first. They're a part of it. They certainly, as part of that relationship aspect, have a responsibility in it. But husbands, that's your job. You must be the spiritual leader of that family. And if you won't become the spiritual leader of that family, then don't you sit around and get upset and angry when your wife won't follow you in some other aspect. Mercy. Asa took his own mother out of position. She was the queen mother removed his own mother. If that's not getting your house in order, I don't know what better illustration to give you than to say that when you go to that level, you have certainly understood what God's word is all about. Whatever it is in your life, whatever it is that has taken over from a priority standpoint above God has to be put back in order. And ultimately, it is the husband's duty and responsibility. For those ladies that are here that are widows or currently without a spouse, then you just seek God and you pray for wisdom and guidance on how to manage that household until someone is either in place or God brings you back home. But if there is one, house has got to be in order. Number four, we start where we or we go now to where we started, I guess, but I do want to read a, a lengthier section of scriptures. We'll get our opening text, but we're going to start in verse 9 and go through verse 15. Second Chronicles 14 still, verse 9 through 15. And there came out against them Zerah, the Ethiopian, with a host of a thousand thousand, that's a million, and three hundred chariots, and came unto Marisha. Then Asa went out against him, and they set the battle in array in the valley of Zephatha at Marisha. 
our opening text. And Asa cried unto the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing with thee to help, whether with many or with them that have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on thee. And in thy name we go against this multitude. O Lord, thou art our God. Let not man prevail against thee. So the Lord smote the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the, and the Ethiopians fled. And Asa and the people that were with him pursued them into Gerar, and the Ethiopians were overthrown, that they could not recover themselves. For they were destroyed before the Lord and before the host, and they carried away very much spoil. And they smote all the cities round about Gerar, for the fear of the Lord came upon them, and they spoiled all the cities, for there was exceeding much spoil in them. They smote also the tents of cattle and carried away sheep and camels in abundance and returned to Jerusalem. I have to mention it, even though we've already said it, and that is that we opened in verse 11 there, we opened with this prayer of help before the battle begun. The fact that God showed up in such a mighty way, I believe, was very much in alignment with what he did before he needed help. He knew where his help come from. He was like David. I look into the heavens or into the mountains from whence my help cometh. My help cometh from the Lord, creator of heavens and earth. Know where your help comes from. He began to put restoration and reform in place. It broke down all of the things that stood between him and God. He got his house in order. Removed his very mother from the position of queen. He did all of the things in preparation on the front end that said when he was in that time of need, before the battle broke out, he called upon the name of the Lord and God was faithful and just and timely in showing up. See, Asa was no different than anyone that's here. Asa knew that there would be a time when he needed help from the Lord. As a matter of fact, in between the scriptures and the lines there, I assure you that as he was putting things in place in the restoration and the reform, that he was calling upon the name of the Lord for anyone that come against him while he was tearing down images and idols. Scriptures don't say that, but you know what happened. You know that as he went in and began to tear those things down and to destroy those things that he called upon the name of the Lord before he did it and said, God, be with me as I put you back in position that you need to be in. If you're in a trial or a test, whatever it is that you're going through today, if you're in a position and a place to where you need help, these same principles apply even if you're already in the battle. It is never too late to do what Matthew said and seek first the kingdom of God. Your first for, for the rest of your life begins right now. What you're facing may already be there. But it's okay if you start right now and say, God, I know where my help comes from. We walk through the illustrations that I've given this morning and we look at that marriage and we look at the relationships between a husband and a wife. It's easy to understand the statistics. You can wipe away a year, five years, 20 years, 30 years. It doesn't matter how many. You can wipe it away with a pen stroke. $200 to a lawyer, gone. It's that easy to get out of it. It's that easy to quit and to give up. 
But if you truly love someone, is that what you want to do? Or do you want to fall on your knees before God and say, I know where my help comes from. I know that when I'm not arguing and fighting, I've got to understand this person that much more. It's time for me to just really dive into who this person is, what makes them click. From a physical standpoint, if I were to ask for a show of hands, I'm I'm sure most of the congregation could raise their hand and say, I've been hospitalized for something in my life. At what point in that physical infirmity, at what point in that sickness or ailment did you call upon the name of the Lord? And if you thought I was through, this is one of those shoe services. Let me tell you what a shoe service is. Anybody ever heard of a shoe service? It's also been called a Cinderella service. That beginning to make sense? There it is. She said if the shoe fits, you have to wear it. There's some things I'll throw out. It don't fit you at all. There's some examples and illustrations that you look at your life and you say, that's not even my style. Not only does it not fit, I wouldn't wear it if it did. And then there's that shoe that is a perfect fit. And we have to find ourselves. Anytime a minister shares the word of God, there is a reason behind it. I share with my wife as I put this uh, sermon together, it is the longest sermon that I've ever had in my possession that I've studied and be prepared to preach that God did not change me by the time I got there. When Brother Henry asked me to preach, I didn't know what I was going to preach on, but that day I did. That day there was two things, and I prayed and God took me to the one, and it was this one. And that was over three weeks ago or around three weeks ago. And I have never had a sermon. Anytime God's given me something that early, it meant one thing only. This is for you and nobody else. And I study and I prepare and I get ready to preach. And then God said, okay, now you're ready to preach what I want you to preach. And then he gives me the word. I believe that the reason God does that is because when he has a word, it also has a timing. His timing is always perfect. Those of you that didn't understand the comment about Wednesday night and and Brother Chuck's uh, socks being okay this morning, he did a very good illustration of uh, when we get to the place to where we have, and, and basics, when we need help from God, that we also need to have confession, one to another and to God. We've got to clear some things out. And then in that illustration, he had holes in his sock, had his shirt ripped and torn in the back, had a big stain on his heart. Very visual perspective for us to understand sometimes the things that stands between us and God. So this morning, I'm not sure which shoe fits, but I am sure of this. God wants to speak to you about the things that are in your life, about your time of need, about the help that you need. And before I close the sermon, I want to give you these final points to consider. The first one is this. Know where your help comes from. What is it that you need from God? That's the real question. Because even though you may be going through a physical encounter, what you need may not be for God to heal you. What you need may be patience. What you need may be for you to understand the very depths of it because a close member of your family, a friend or a relative or whatever, 
is going to go through that and they're going to need someone to lean on. So you need to be preparing yourself to walk someone through what you've gone through. See, we need to know what it is we need from God. Oftentimes we miss it. I go back again to early in my ministry. As a matter of fact, I was a, a youth pastor at the time and financially I walked away from a very lucrative position and I was making $250 a week. And financially my bills were much greater than that. But I turned everything over to God. And I'd watched the TV evangelist and I'd felt led to do what this evangelist had done. And I took checkbooks and wallets and everything and I laid them on the floor and I just began to turn them over to God and I said, God, have your way. And I tell you, the presence and the power of God got so strong and so so powerful in there that I was waiting on that knock on the door. Somebody's going to say, I don't know why, but here's a bunch of money. You know, that's what I was expecting. It was that powerful. But let me tell you what really happened. How many of you ever heard the term laughing in the spirit? Mm -hmm. That term literally means that God restores joy to your soul. And that's what happened. See, I didn't need a dollar. I had let my joy go away because I was so worried about money. And when God restored the joy in my life, the money began to come. But first thing he did is said, let me give you what you need. So if we're in a time of help, know where your help comes from, but know what it is that you need. Be praying to God, God, what do I really need? It may not be for my marriage right now. It may be for me to change some things about me. It's not my spouse. It's me. Number two, you get to that place of reform, it is also a place of sacrifice, meaning that you're going to have to give some stuff up. There are some things that you have in your life that God has been moving on you, urging you, unctioning you to give up, to get out of your life. It may be your job. It may be a sport or a hobby. It may be an addiction. I don't know what it is. You do. He does. So when you get to that place of spiritual reform, don't go tear down everything that anybody else has got that's standing in the way. Look right here understand what you've got to tear down, what you've got to give up, what you have to sacrifice in order to position yourself to call upon the name of the Lord and for him to abruptly and immediately and timely respond to you. Number three, when your house is in order, it means that restoration has taken place, but it also means that order as who is the head, who does what role. Do you ever look at the, uh, uh, the writings of Paul when he talks about... Um, the husband's responsibilities, the wife's responsibilities, the children's duties and responsibilities. Have you ever looked at that and put it in perspective to the term we use, family circle? Did you know that that's what you're creating in essence? Did you know that if a husband loves the wife, then the wife is submitted? Did you know that children see love and submission taking place in a relationship, they become obedient? Did you know that there is a continuous cycle that happens that when each person fulfills their responsibilities, that the love cycle continues to circle and God continues to be lifted and the family continues to be blessed? Stand with me. If our musicians would come. Father, I pray that I have done what you asked me to do. I pray, God, that as we look at these steps, Lord, that we recognize where our help comes from. 
We put reform and restitution in our lives. We put our house in order. And then, Father, that we go to battle. And I pray, Lord, that whatever battle every person is here today, that you help them, Lord, in understanding the other three elements. That before they're ready to pick up the sword, before they're ready to do their battle and due diligence, God, that they do some searching. Show us, Lord, as David said, search us, see if there be any wicked in us. Remove anything that stands between us and you, God. May you be lifted and glorified. Amen. Thank you again for listening to River of Life Podcast. If this message has touched you today, or if you need somebody to pray with you, please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email at info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for more information and directions. Thank you.